there was a there was a string of uh artists that i worked with during the days early early seattle days and where there was a lot of bad influences uh that got in the way of recording sessions and Welcome to Fails, Falls, and Fuck-Ups, the show that makes people bleed for you so you don't have to do it yourself. Joining me today is a successful musician, music producer, music manager. It's all about music, and he's very successful. He's had hits, but we don't care about that. We want to see the mistakes he's made along the way. So Dale Penner, I got it right this time. How are you doing this morning? <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you, Bruce? I'm fine. I'm just happy to have another human being to talk to. <laughs> I know. I know what you mean. We. I live in this virtual world too. I'm like mixing in my studio, and my client is not even nearby, not even in the same city. So days go by, and it's just you, kind of like a troll in a dungeon, going, "Yes, we're going to get the sound correct." Yeah, yeah. And then there's the good part about you know, if you want to leave for a while, they don't know whether you're working or not. You might just be working today, or you might not be working today. that's true i guess if especially if you've got a nice screensaver of you like diligently doing something if you get like five minutes of that you can just loop it and if a client checks in just there you are well if they check in they'll check in on a text but i do do some i do remote sessions on on an application called session wire so it's not all lonely how did you get into music and it being a very competitive field a very um it's not an easy field to get into so i imagined that there was a lot of little problems, mistakes. I'm sure there was a nice share of not so successful moments on the way to success. How did you kick off? Yeah, I kicked off. Um, I worked in a music store and they went broken into receivership. And I'd been hanging out with friends in, in bands and stuff for a couple of years. I was just out of high school a couple of years. We, a bunch of us guys went on a, on a, on a road trip and got into some serious partying mode and just ended up going, listening to this music and going, I've got to do this. I decided right then and there, I was going to, that's what I was going to do. And I went to, took a crash course in a, in Ohio to become a recording engineer from there, moved to Vancouver on the West coast of Canada and started sweeping floors in studios, painting walls for free studio time, uh, finding bands to produce, you know, some were successful, most of them weren't, but they were all learning experiences. So I, ne- I don't know if I've ever really considered things to be a failure. They're more like that didn't go well, or uh, I didn't really plan for it to go that way, or boy, did I really learn something by doing that. My first break was uh, with uh, a band called Loverboy. I recorded a song that was on the first, on the Top Gun soundtrack called Heaven in Your Eyes, and it was a uh, like a top 20, top 10 hit, something like that in the States. It was a big hit in around the world. And that kind of got me going. And from there, I just, you know, worked on projects when they came to me, went out and found bands and worked my way up the ladder, so to speak. Now with Loverboy, did you have to wear one of those headbands while mixing and engineering? I didn't. But, you know, I still, I still hang out with Mike. In fact, I was just talking to him this morning. We were talking about podcasts and, uh, it was funny. I mean, he would want to. He'd want to hear his his mix a certain way in his headphones, and and Paul would want to hear things uh, a certain way in 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 the in in whatever he was hearing in the control room. So it was a, it was a busy session. I'd constantly be changing the mix depending who was in the room. As an engineer, 
you're trying to get the band's vision of the song to whatever it is they have in their head. A lot of bands don't necessarily agree on what that is. What is that like in real time when you're there and there's two, three, or God knows how many people, I guess usually the drummer doesn't get a say, who knows? I guess it depends on the band, (laughs) but there they are and they're fighting over the mix and they're effectively fighting above your head. They're effectively fighting over what you're doing. Right. How do you walk that line? Well, as an engineer, uh, back in what we're talking about here with Loverboy, there was a producer on the session. A lot of times that would be the producer's battle to fight. But now nowadays, and, and shortly after that, I just started producing. So I definitely had to deal with that. I kind of, you know, I used to have a, used to put a sign up in the studio that said, better sorry than safe. And that was my motto. It's like, anybody has an idea, let's try it. Because you could argue about it for 10 minutes and and not really resolve a thing or you could take like three minutes and try it and most of the time it become clear either it's a terrible idea or it's worth pursuing so you kind of have to be the diplomat but my, my approach is who in the band is going to is going to represent the band like you guys got to come to a consensus among amongst yourselves and those will be my marching orders i don't i'm not a dictator i don't dictate how things are going to turn out i have i have very strong opinions but at the end of the day, the band is the one that has to go out and talk about it, sell it, promote it. I'm just going to go make another record to somebody else. In your early days, you're effectively making your services available to anybody who would use them just because you needed you needed the tracks under your feet. You needed to put in some miles. Did you have any um, particularly interesting experiences in the early days that taught you valuable lessons? Any particular bands that just stick out in your mind as a, shall we say, lesson learned? Oh man, there was a lesson learned on on all of them. There was a there was a string of uh, artists that I worked with during the days early early Seattle days, and where there was a lot of bad influences uh, that got in the way of recording sessions. And so I, I learned to uh, I, I learned a couple lessons that way in terms of choosing clients that you know, weren't going to die in the studio (laughs) from an overdose. Did you have one? No, you know, not in the studio, but it was pretty, there was a time when it was pretty rampant on the West Coast when everybody thought that that was the ticket to, you know, to a successful sound. So I, I, I I got in, you know, I I did not enjoy those, did not enjoy those sessions and, and steered totally, uh, totally clear of those. Um, I worked in a haunted studio for years, so that was kind of weird. There was a ghost that lived there. Everybody that worked there knew about it. Was it a ghost of a musician, an engineer, or just the old lady? It was a ghost of an A&R guy that used to work at the studio. It's called Mushroom Studios, and they used to have a label. Hart was on one of the bands on their label originally. And there'd be weird shit happening in that studio all the time. One one of my assistants was so scared of it when you know when he'd be the last person in the studio at at night left to clean up he would not be there alone he would call his girlfriend and she'd show up with like a crucifix and a and a string of garlic and and kind of sit in the lobby and protect him I guess but as far as actual band you know sorry that's just I've never seen a band I've never seen a band get into a fist fight I've seen a lot of bands yell and scream at each other but never really seen them you know, get into a, a fist fight. I had one band, I get to the studio, I'd met the band once in a, in a, in a rehearsal, so, but I didn't really know them at all. 
So I get to the studio and they're already all there and they put up signs, no Yoko. And I'm going, what's this no Yoko thing? And then the guy, a couple of the guys tell me the singer's girlfriend is serious trouble. So they had to try and block his singers like to be the, you know, the king of the castle. And, and a lot of, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, but this particular instance was brutal because everybody in the band hated the singer's girlfriend. And that was weird. I didn't, you know, I didn't get it, but um, that was a bit of a strange, strange situation. Almost sounds like out of Spinal Tap, where David St. Hubbard's girlfriend came in and took over the band. They probably were resistant to that. Yeah. Did you find that there were a lot of, with some bands, that they would they would bring people in, extraneous people like girlfriends or family members or whatever bit of weirdness they've happened to picked up along the way that would affect any particular sessions? I didn't usually allow that, to be honest with you. I didn't want to have people hanging around partying in the sessions. But yeah, it, def- it definitely happened. And it would usually be, you know, a party in the lounge upstairs from the studio that would spill over into the control room. I had a band, I was working on a record in Montreal, and that band was so crazy with that kind of stuff that, you know, I used to take weekends off with them. It was like Tuesdays and Wednesdays was a day off because those were the only days that they wouldn't get into trouble the night before. Parties in the studio were not uncommon. For me, the trick was to start your workday early enough so that everybody would hopefully get to bed at a reasonable hour. But if you had, you definitely had to manage the, uh, you had to manage the arts, especially younger groups. I remember one guy, guitar player in the band, we couldn't find him. Nobody knew where he was. Finally, I guess somebody went down to the parkade at the hotel they were staying at, and the guy was passed out beside a car. All he was wearing was his underwear, and some and some girl had written on his on his chest with lipstick i love you in a heart and he was just you know <laughs> so he had a hard time you know his he struggled that day to do his guitar parts uh but you know 19 years old we picked him up and put his pants on and got him to the studio how much self sabotage did you experience a lot <laughs> a lot a lot of people a lot of artists and i find this with creative people and just you know and it, and it goes to your definition of failure it's a lot of fun to make to make a record most of the time. It's the part of the creative process. The part that's not fun is when you have to go out and promote it and sell it and people listen to it and they and they like it or they hate it and they tell you what they think of it and all of that kind of stuff. So I think a lot of artists never wanted to get to that point. They would have been happy just to stay and record for the rest of their career if they could make a living doing it. So in that in that regard I saw people I don't know if sabotage is the right word. But they just couldn't, they couldn't get to the end of the project. There was always something they wanted to change. It just, it, it, like it didn't have an end point, or at least it didn't seem like it was going to. And I always, I attributed that at some point, you guys are just scared to get, you know, to get out there and put this out there and see what people think. I have f- friends who are filmmakers and I've, I've done filmmaking myself. And there certainly is that sense of it hasn't, it, it didn't get to where you wanted it to be. But at some point, you do have to just make the decision that, okay, this is, the, this is where it goes off as the complete thing, even if it's not what was envisioned in the mind. And you need to move on to the next step. It's interesting to hear that there's a lot of people who don't actually take that next step, and ultimately, their project sort of just languishes on the shelf because they never finish it. You fail. It's a failure. That's, that's what I would call a failure. If you don't try, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a failure. Did you ever experience some an artist whom you could clearly see a vision for them? This is the way 
that they would work. Not necessarily get successful or famous from it, but this artist has this idea and he if if we only presented it, if we only created it in, in this way, it would be the perfect form of this idea that they have. And for them just to be totally and completely resistant to it or not see it that way or basically because they're so set on their vision, effectively shoot themselves in the foot. Lots of times. <laughs> too, too many to even count. I mean, people just, they, they don't, um, you know, they hire a producer and then they don't want to, you know, be, then they don't want to be produced. Uh, they have a vision of the song, but it's not, a, but you know in your mind that that is never going to be, it's not going to, it's not going to be successful. It doesn't have a good melody. It's, you know, there's, who knows? It's just not, it's just not a good, it's not a great song. And, you know, they'll stick to it because they're, you know, their friends told them it was great. Uh, maybe their fans cheered louder for that song than others. There's a host of reasons, but I'm I, I that's a that's a battle and a hill that I kind of would would probably die on, because you you're not doing your job if you don't really grind it into them that you've got to you know if the material has got to be strong and if you have a song that is not strong you're just you, no matter what you do in the production world it's still gonna suck. And have you ever had somebody? blame you for them not getting the result that they wanted so they had this vision they had this song and they insisted upon it and then they put it out there and it pew yeah probably i mean i don't know that they've ever told me that it was my fault but um yeah there's there's, there's got to be i mean the producer is like the uh coach right if it's if it you know and a record label they think you know they're not going to fire their band they're going to fire the producer they're going to they're going to, they're going to, you know, they're going to blame the producer. So apps, you know, whether I've ever had, I'm trying to remember if I've ever had somebody call me or say directly to my face that this is your fault off the top of my head. I can't think of an instant like that, but you know, when they don't call you again, <laughs> you kind of know that that's probably, that's probably what they're thinking. <laughs> well, we haven't seen that artist after four albums. So oops. <laughs> Out of your early days, if somebody was like, I want to get into music producing now. What would be a bit of advice for someone for something that they should definitively do and something they should definitively not do? Well, I think the definitively do is is be prepared, you know, prepare yourself for uh, a roller coaster ride and and tons of, of failures and, you know, prepare yourself for very little money for a very long day of work. The other side is it's it's a it's a good lifestyle. If you can be successful at it, it's a no, I don't think anybody gets into this business because they're not passionate about it. And that, and that to me is a major bonus. So if you're, if you're, if you're passionate about it and you love it, just do it. And, and you're going to have to work really hard and you're going to have to hold your cards close to yourself because there's a lot of opportunists like there is in every other business, but just go out there and, you know, meet as many musicians as you can, many artists as you can when you're starting out you know, get a studio that you can get cheap studio time at, go in and build relationships. That's really the main thing is building relationships. Am I getting enough uh, dirt in your show for you? Or am I, is no, too, I, like um, the whole idea isn't just sort of like, ooh, ooh, ooh what's all the bad stuff? Was it? no, it's more right. about how I, I got to this is I'm somebody who just throws myself at things. Right. But I'm fascinated by failure because I'm more than happy to try anything. But I have a ton of friends. Right. I know a ton of people they don't do things or they don't try things because 
it may not work or they may upset somebody. There's a thousand reasons, but what it really boils down to is if you don't try, you haven't lost. And if you haven't lost, the potential still exists. That's that's how I've interpreted it from my artist friend who spent right. years studying his art and never tried. He never applied for job one. So he was a hobby artist, but he spent tons of money, tons of student debt to become a professional artist that he never was because he was afraid to put in an application. And that's where this came out of. It's like, how do you how do you talk right. about that? And I wanted to what I'm looking for is to show that some people who have had who have had successes, those successes aren't built off the fact that they were lucky or they were particularly privileged or even particularly good at some things, because I guarantee you in your first session, you blew. I found that the best, the still to this day, I don't get nervous for very many projects anymore, but when I do, I know it's really worth embracing. And that was, that was a thing back in the early days. I would get freaked out when I was called in. I mean, when I got called in to do that heaven in your eyes song with lover boy, I mean, nobody knew the movie was going to be big or, you know, Tom, nobody even knew who Tom Cruise was at that point, but Loverboy was happening. And I was the low man in the totem pole at the studio. I got the gig because the head engineer didn't want to come in and work on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so I was nervous, very nervous. And, you know, I got other gigs out of that. And I, and I, you know, it, it, it moved the, it moved the dial forward for me for sure. And then there was uh, other projects, a gal from Canada that I developed and, managed and produced and she got a big record deal and you know i you know we all thought it was going to be a big success and it wasn't it it uh you know she had a, a gold you know platinum record in canada and a couple of number one singles here but nothing outside of uh of this country and then you know so you never know but i but i, I think i've learned what to look for you know now with the internet you know anybody can call himself a producer you just need a laptop and, and a couple of microphones so there was a period in my career like about eight years ago where I really noticed because where my experience and somewhat my age seemed like it might be working against me I've had to reinvent myself so many times in this business I mean you know my first projects were they were on vinyl you know and then cassettes and then uh, CDs and then you know I, I reinvented myself several times through that whole process and there was tons of tons of ups and downs but there's always be that bright spot you'd get like you know you'd go like months without anything good happening and the phone would ring and you'd be fuck yeah and it would be like a good one right you'd be like though that's that's the beauty of it i mean i don't answer to anybody but myself you know as far in terms of my business i'm self-employed i you know i answer to my clients on on projects individual projects but as far as how i develop my career and my business it's, it's entirely up to me. And it's uh, consultancy versus employment too, where when, yeah. when somebody hires you to be a consultant, yeah. cause I was a freelance IT technician and big companies would bring me in and they're paying me a lot more and they're respectful of the time versus employees, which they tended to treat as disposable. Right. The self-employment thing, even though you answer to your clients, you don't do it to the, in the same manner. There's a level of respect that is paid to you because you're an outside entity that they are investing a lot of resources into. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, um, also, um, like I was saying earlier, you go and make a record and then you, you move on to, um, a, another project. I think one of the things that positives about this job and being a self-employed entrepreneur is if I run into a shitty project, it's only going to, it's like only a matter of weeks, it's not a matter of years till it's done. 
you know, so it's, it's not like, it's not like somebody that takes on a job that they hate and gets stuck into it. You know, it's, it's when I've had projects that I've taken on that I really wished I wasn't involved when I just, you know, I just see it to the end because the end is in sight. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly, that's also one of the fun things about consultancy. There's an end date. And after that life moves on. Yeah. In dealing with young musicians, is there any wisdom you have for a a young musician about how to comport themselves that maybe um for the most part they don't know when they start? Yeah, I think I mean the one thing that hasn't changed in the music business since the beginning of time is you need to have a you need to have a good song. Not not long ago produced a group of kids from uh I think they live in LA now. They were originally from Chicago called SM6. They are six siblings between the ages of 14 and 22. Their manager said they were going to be the next Partridge family. They started off by promoting themselves on TikTok. So you have to be, you have to promote yourself. And those, that particular band, SM6, they've already, they've got over a billion social media views. And they have like the one song I produced for them is like sitting at a couple of million streams on Spotify. I mean, it's not huge, but they're young and they've got a lot of room to grow. And they used they used the TikTok platform to launch their music career. Most of their TikTok streams had nothing to do with music. And they were still a band and they were able to somehow parlay that social media success into uh, a, a success or at least a potential success as, a, as an emerging artist. So what I would tell these young kids is that you got to write songs and you have to be prolific at it. You have to finish those songs because, you know, too many people start writing a song and it doesn't work out and they just beat themselves up on it. Write a song, finish it, move on. Some are going to be good. Some are going to be terrible, but one or two might be great. And that's what you're looking for and work hard. They're really the whole thing with social media now isn't that much different than back. You know, if you want to say back in the day, you know, if you wanted to get a record deal, you'd have, you'd have to have people lined up at a club to see you. Now you want a record deal, you got to have social media numbers. Same concept, good songs and a following. Different efforts, same amount of time and dedication to make it happen. Yeah, in some ways it's easier now because... You don't have to paper a city with flyers. You know, I think the biggest challenge for a young artist nowadays is to sort of rise above the noise because there's this vast noise happening here. And then there's those artists that get above the noise for whatever reason, like SM6 got above the noise because of their TikTok and Instagram success. Uh, other, other people have got above the noise for some other crazy thing, you know, I don't know what, like some prank on YouTube, right? And they, and they you know, so you, you got to find your thing, but at the same time, you got to have a great song. And a great song doesn't have to, you know, it's, it's different than it used to be. Or not, maybe not different, but there's a lot more potential to release a different, different formats of songs. Like there's songs that artists that have huge success now that you never even hear about on the mainstream. So there is a, you know, that's what I mean when getting above the noise, you can get above the noise. There's a whole area where you can be very successful without being superstars. You know, you get a song involved in one of those trends, sort of just like that, like the infinity song where everyone took their light ring for about several weeks and flipped it behind their head, turned it on and dressed and did something else. Yeah. And I have no idea who that artist is, but my God, does that song haunt me around three o'clock in the morning when I wake up to go to the bathroom? Suddenly that song's going through my head. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm not sure how these memes rise out of the ether of memes, but suddenly that song got linked up to that Halo and then it became a Jedi thing and it, it just grew for a long time. Yeah. And that artist now has a touchstone moment. Yeah, exactly. I will ask you this. As somebody who's always moved forward, did you have one moment where something went so bad that it almost stopped you? And if so, what did you employ to push you past it? Yeah, absolutely. I can remember clearly about 10 years ago. I was, uh, when streaming really started to hit, uh, downloading and, or not, I'm not even streaming, downloading. Napster? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a very trying time. I mean, my business model, I made money from people selling their products. It was, um, and I, and t about 10 years ago or so, I th can't remember exactly, but about that, about that time, I was really just, I'm going like, why am I even doing this anymore? Like, I'm making half as much as I was five years earlier. For the first time ever in, in my life, I couldn't see a future. I couldn't see myself involved with the future in what I was doing. I didn't really do much for almost 10 months. We, um, I moved, uh, my wife and I, I realized at that point, I'd given up, I really hadn't had a personal life forever. I'd given up, you know, a lot of those things like most, a lot of people do for their career. I traveled all over the place making records and wasn't home. I had a stepdaughter that I met when she was 14. So I'd never had any children of my own. So I just said to my, said to my wife, Sean, I go like, I just need to take, take a break. Why don't, and I, and I came back to where I was, where I'd grown up and I had, because I had a grandkid, I was, I was like a grandfather when I was 38 years old. Wow. My wife was a my wife was a Catholic cheerleader. She got pregnant very young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and 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 but I just said to myself, I don't, I can work. I can do this job at this point. I can just do it from anywhere. I'm already traveling half the time, uh, and now the budgets are getting smaller. So I'm going to have to reinvent myself again. So we moved to the small Winnipeg, this town that I I, I grew up in, which is in the middle of Canada. It's a town of city of like less than a million people but i was close to my family I, I got i started hanging out with my grandkids got to see them grow up you know and just sort of stayed in the business and then somehow something changed it just i got excited again my phone started ringing again more than it was for a while i guess after that i never really looked back i just kind of said okay well it was also the time off gave me a chance to really think like you know i'm way too young to stop working what am i gonna you know i i just would i i, I I'd be a terrible retired person because I would just get into trouble. I said, okay, I've taken this time. I realized that I'm not going to stop working. I, and, and this is the thing I still love. So I got, I got passionate about it again and got into it and, you know, renewed my O-1 visa to work in the States so I could travel, you know, without any of those uh, impediments and all, you know, all really. And then, and then, the, but then the business also changed because as the, as the streaming quality and of all that stuff got better, the quality of the music had to be better to match, to match it. The bar was continually being raised. I mean, it's with Napster, it started off here. It was shitty. Everything sounded like shit. It was fucking terrible. And, it's, and it took a long, and, and it stayed that way for a long time. Even when, when there was other formats that were accessible, people didn't, still didn't want to pay for it. So they just went for the cheap. But what happened during that time as streaming got faster, and everything became more competitive again. So it was no longer good enough just to have a shitty recording that your friend produced on his laptop in his basement because it didn't stand up to anything. It wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't relevant anymore. And that's when I noticed people started realizing 
you know, we have to actually invest in our in our, in our music again, and that's that's the point that I really started noticing that I started getting busier and busier. And you know, I, granted, I made some changes on my own. I have I've set it up so I can work remotely very easily. Um, that whole SM6 record I did, I've still never in my life met those kids. I mean, I produced it like I was there. I mean, I've been producing music long enough that I know how to do it. You know, hire a good engineer at the other end. And so that's what I mean when I say I reinvented myself several times. And I'm excited about it again. I don't work the 60-hour work weeks that I used to. You know, I have a place in Kelowna I go to a few times a year. I'm going to go to Palm Springs and hang out with some friends in March. So it's a different, you know, I also toned down, toned my lifestyle into such a, in such a way that I can really in, enjoy what I'm doing and, and be the best I can be for my client because I'm not burnt out or pissed off. And I imagine by also being, having the remote thing it, on the other end, they're more aware of the service that they're buying versus when they're in the studio and just burning time. Mm. I don't know. I didn't really notice that it made it more structured. I mean, the thing with these SM6 kids, they're so young. They they, they kind of lived in a virtual world anyways. They probably talked to people without actually seeing them all the time. So it wasn't anything that unusual um, for them. The challenge with it is, is keeping getting people to realize that you're still on a schedule. Uh, you know, even though you don't have a studio booked, if you call me at like 10 in the morning saying, I don't feel like working today, that's not going to cut it. You know, unless there's something wrong, if you're sick or there's some kind of, you know, reason for not doing it. But it has made it, you know, that, that's been a bit of a challenge. But for the most part, people just, people just you know, the people I work with want to, want to make music. I, had, I just finished a, a, a project recently with a girl named Natalie Patton, who we did it on, we did, did it on SessionWire. And we were recording vocals. And uh, we, she was in her, we were, she was set up in her, in her uh, bedroom, in her apartment in, in LA. And, you know, she had, I set her up on session wire with the thing so she could record it on her own. And I just operated everything from here where I am. We were getting so much background noise from sirens and whatever else, dogs barking. I said, we need a better place. She says, I'm going home to Houston for four days next week. And I'm going, perfect. Let's just set up four days there. So I did all her vocals in her, you know, her own, her old bedroom in her house, parents' house. In Houston, and it was so. I mean, those are the things that you can do now. And I, and I, when I say I get more excited about the business again, I think that's what that's what uh, makes me excited. I mean, to me, that's the fun of it. You know, I get to, I get to meet people all the time, and people that are planning on getting into the business. That's the exciting thing, man. You go and, you know, nothing excited me more than like getting on a plane, going somewhere, and getting into a studio with a bunch of people I'd never met, not having any idea what you're going to come out the other end with in like two or three weeks. It definitely sounds like a fun, rewarding life. How do you feel about those genres? I want to call it a genre of music, but have you heard any of the um, remixes where they take a like R&B song and throw it with a metal song and it works? Yeah, I have actually. There's a few that are pretty cool. Now when I mix songs uh, for people, they almost always ask for individual stems. Like here, mix the song for me, but then send me the vocal track alone. Send me the, you know, Cause that's, and that's exactly why they do it. It's, it's a whole nother market. I think it's cool. You know, if I was, you know, if I, if I had my, you know, I've had a few things I've worked on that have been, that have been remixed and it's kind of, it's weird. You listen to it and you go, Hmm. But then when you listen to it a couple of times, you go, yeah, that's pretty cool. At least they didn't ruin it. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you hear a bit of a, 
a song that you did involved in something like this? Is it that it's, it's sort of taking, it's using your completed art as an ingredient into a, a different, as I, as I just mix my metaphors into various different forms where you just, they, they take your thing right. and then they throw it into this stew that it doesn't bother. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all. It, it, I think it's cool. I mean, I, I, I am embrace. I used to be a lot more, uh, um, I don't know what, what even the right word. It used to piss me off, you know, when people would, would do that. Cause I, I, I used to think it was disrespectful, but now I just think it's cool. And if people, you know, the more people that hear it, the better there's no, there's no, uh, I also used to think like, how the hell are you going to monetize that? But there's no monetizing that shit. It's just like, it's just the way, it, you know, you know, the monetization of the business is, is completely different than it used to be. You got to make your money up. You got to make your money up front. I mean, streaming revenues are, you know, you read about how terrible they are, but they're also getting better. There's a lot of, I know people that are making six figures a year easily on streaming. A lot more music has to stream than previously needed to sell for you to make a decent amount of money. Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. It's not fair. I'm not saying by any means that it's fair. I'm just saying that it's improving. In closing this out, I want you to feel free to plug your ass any way you want to just go ahead, go nuts. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm accessible. I mean, I, I, I don't, I love hearing from new artists and getting involved in, in new projects. So, I mean, if you just Google my name, Dale Penner, you'll, it'll probably take you straight to my website where you can email me, um, or get a hold of me that way. That's the best way to get a hold of me or on Facebook or you can, or Instagram, what, you know, whatever I'm out there looking looking for people to talk to and always open to new opportunities. My passion and what I really enjoy the most is to get up into a studio with a band, go in there and just spend a week or two in, in the studio and create something. I think that's probably uh, the thing that I've hung my hat on for my entire career. And if I look at projects of mine that have been the most successful, that's been, that's been my involvement with those projects. So I really love to, hop into a studio with a band and just get in there, roll up your sleeves and make some noise. So if you're out there looking for getting your punk polka album together, Dale is your man. Absolutely. Anyway, Dale, thank you so much for being here with me. I know you could have done anything else and probably should have. And I appreciate it that you are here. I, I appreciate you, man. Bruce, it was very nice of you to uh, have me on this. I think that's really cool. And like, uh, Hey, I got another friend now. I'm going to be in LA in March. Maybe I'll call you up and buy you lunch. Absolutely. I like free lunch. You have to call me. Now, if you don't, okay. especially since that's my birthday month, I will take it as a deep personal insult uh, if you do not. Okay. If I'm in LA, I'm looking you up. Awesome. Promise. Oh, there's Dale. Now, he might not write the songs that make the whole world sing. However, he does make sure that they don't sound like they've been recorded through 18 inches of mud. Was there a question that you would have hoped that Dell would have produced an answer to? If so, leave it in the comments. And between sessions, we'll get right on it. Now, you can follow me in all the socials, at Fails, Falls, and F-Ups, and at Bruce Naxon. Now, next week, I talk to music impresario John Vaven, who will detail in humiliating detail how he learned not to be naive as a young musician and how that helped him grow. You're not even thinking anything. You're like, oh, you know what? This is great. I'm going to have an opportunity to be on the record. Guess what? And my friends are going to get to hear me, and I am totally badass. Yeah, badass and no money, no credit.